Hey, it's Alexis Haynes, and this is my podcast, Recovering from Reality. Um, so, Jamie, can you explain to our audience what is it that you do? Yes. First of all, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to be here with you. And uh, yes, so what I do, I'm a holistic sex and intimacy coach. So what that means is I help people in the areas of communication about how to communicate about things that are intimate and sensitive and have those conversations so that people can be fully met and seen and and have their desires met inside of their relationship. I also support people with discovering what it is that they really want and being okay with that. So in our culture, there's a lot of projected shame and inadequacy and fear around sexuality. And so a lot of times for people to really just fully own and look within and see what they want can be um, a, a big thing. So those are a couple of things that I do. And I work with couples, I work with individuals in dating and, and sexuality. So cool. Um, I was actually just talking to a friend a couple of weeks ago and I was saying, you know, it, it wasn't until my mid twenties that I actually really started to enjoy sex. And I think that for so many young girls, we have sex just because we feel like we have to. Yeah. And we don't mm-hmm. actually enjoy sex until we start exploring and being more vocal about the things that we do and don't like. Yes. And there's this, there's this, I mean, when I said there's like a projection from our conditioning where it's like from media, there's this idea that we are supposed to all just be these like sexy bedroom rock stars or something. And, mm-hmm. and, and no one is ever really educated in that way. So part of what I have sought to do is create an adult erotic education that actually serves people in doing what you just said of, of learning how to enjoy sex, how to enjoy intimacy and, and how to go deeper, you know, how to actually look within and see, you know, what is the part of me that most wants to be met intimately? And is that happening? And if not, how can I, first of all, give myself permission to have whatever desire that is and then learn how to talk about it with someone that, you know, you're dating or in a relationship with? I think too, that there's so, um, especially in this day and age where porn is something that's so easily accessible, a lot of young people, and I would assume specifically males have this idea of what sex is supposed to look like (laughs) and they actually don't know how to pleasure a woman. And then we also have the other side of it. I can't tell you how many of my girlfriends and even myself pretend to be enjoying sex because it feels like something that we should do. Yeah. You know, I think one of the very first things, and and this might be supportive of, you know, your listeners and and people who are in this position of like feeling like they need to perform. I think one of the first ways that we can start 
not only being better lovers, but really enjoying it ourselves is learning to prioritize our pleasure over performance. And this goes for both men and women. Um, you know, there's this idea that there's some way that we're supposed to perform. And, and, and when people are in that mindset, they literally disown their pleasure. They leave their pleasure in order to go to their head. They leave their body and go to their head and begin thinking about what they should do instead of following the natural flow of what feels good. I remember there was a moment where I remember the moment where I faked my last orgasm. It's a wonderful moment. And, <laughs> and I, I, you know, cause I, I, I fell into that. And so many yeah. women do is like, Oh, well, I want it to be over or he's not going to get it or she's not going to get it. Whoever you're with, you know, they, they aren't going to understand me. I'm too complicated or, or I'm not going to be good enough if I don't have this like major epic fireworks porn star orgasm. And, <laughs> and so then we end up faking it. And or then sometimes you're just like, I want him to be done or her to be done. So I'm just yeah. going to fake this to make it be like, okay, it's okay for you to come now. Exactly. I caught myself doing that a lot. Like where I'm like, I'm yeah. not going to come from this. Like there's no way, you know? Right. So it's like, I'll just fake it. So that way you get the cue. Like, okay, you can finish now. Right. And, and, and it's it, what, what happens when we do that is it's got a, a really deep long-term detriment. And this is what I realized in this moment where I faked my last orgasm is I realized that because I had perpetually faked orgasms with, with my partner, that he actually thought that something that didn't please me, pleased me. So he thought living in parallel realities. He thought that I was having a great time because that's what I was portraying through my performance, but I wasn't actually letting him into my pleasure. So this, this, and I, and I, I just got it. Cause he, cause he was like stoked. And I was like, Oh my God, this is a problem. Like I remember actually like drawing a line in the sand and realizing that I was perpetuating my own dissatisfaction in the bedroom by pretending that I liked something that I didn't. And, um, and so I, we had a conversation and I, and I brought it, I mean, and it was messy and I mm -hmm. was crying and I was like, I don't know how to tell you this, you know, you're, you are completely adequate and I love you. And like, this is what's been going on. And we proceeded to, have a conversation that I think can be supportive for anyone in this paradigm of performance over pleasure. We had a conversation about here's the owner's manual to my body. Like this is going to be an, a, an unsexy technical conversation that we're about to have. And, and I was like, this is what I actually like. And, and it was like this kind of pressure. Nope, not quite like that. It's a little more like, it's a little slower and a little more to the left and like a little, you know, a little deeper. And like, I like it when you look me in the eyes and like actually going through all of the details of what it was that I wanted as if I was giving someone the technical owner's manual to my body. <laughs> and, and he was like, I mean, his response, and this is what's fascinating with, with so many men is like, they, they actually want to please us deep down. And, and, good men really just want to please their woman or, or good women, you know, in same sex relationships, it's like, just want to please each other. And, 
Um, and he was like, he said something that I've since seen so many men in, in hetero couples specifically say when this kind of epiphany happens, why didn't you tell me sooner? (laughs) And yeah. And I was like, uh, because I have all this programming that says that, you know, I'm just supposed to, you know, I'm just supposed to like it. And, and I, I wasn't really enjoying it. So I wanted it to be over much like what you said. And anyway, so I, I, I share this very, um, uh, messy example of, of how I went through this with a partner so that people can relate. I mean, and I, I, at this time, even when, I mean, this was, you know, seven years ago, but I was already doing this work. So I just want everyone to know that you are not alone in this performance over pleasure paradigm that we live in. And that even people who have awareness of their sexuality and their bodies and relationships can even still fall into this trap because the programming is so strong. So there is a way out. And I believe that it's in bringing the vulnerability of what's actually going on for you and taking responsibility of like, Hey, I really should have told you this. And, and I didn't, and here's why, and here's the deal actually schedule an owner's manual, a sexual owner's manual session where you just like, it's like, okay, this is not going to be the the earth shattering, amazing orgasm. This is going to be where I just show you how, how it's done because we don't often do that otherwise. Yeah. And I think that a lot of the times it almost, it, almost leaves you with a feeling at least it did for me for many women that I was like almost like abusing myself like every time my partner would want to have sex I would just I mean and and thank god for my current partner who's like so kind and I also have a very um a history of really intense sexual trauma and abuse so he's been amazing but my previous partners it was like you know, I could feel like my whole body shutting down when I would have sex and I would just, yeah, I would just do it because I thought, and that kind of segues into like why I really believe, and I don't know how much you know about this, but like sex positive parenting and the idea that like in nature, we are sexual human beings and society tells us, especially girls, that that's not an okay part of us. And I remember the first time, like my older daughter, I, I caught her like playing with her vagina (laughs) and she was maybe four or three Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what to do. And especially because of my history of sexual abuse, it freaked me out. Like Mm -hmm. I totally, I could feel my body like shutting down and I went to my therapist and I said, what do I do? What do I do? And she goes, oh my God, with boys, it starts much lo- younger. It's like 18 months. They're already like playing with themselves as much as they possibly can yeah. get their hands on it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I said, so what do I do? And she said, I would start now by saying, Harper, you're allowed to touch your vagina, but you need to go to your bedroom and you need to wash your hands before and after and just keep it like really matter of fact right now. And, um, I, I began doing that. So I would catch myself at the dinner table going, Harper, you're allowed to touch your vagina, but you need Mm -hmm. to do so in your bedroom (laughs) Mm -hmm. and feeling like so crazy. And now she, you know, it's not something that's even really talked about. And I think she kind of like grew out of that phase, but, um, 
you know, I guess what I'm saying is that I didn't realize how masturbation is so normal and it's just a part of our like DNA and that as you know, when we're shut down, even as children from that, like it's sending us messages. And I feel like if girls and boys spent more time figuring out what they like and don't like before they actually get into intimate relationships, it would do so it would help so many more people because I had no idea what I liked and didn't like. And like I said, until my mid twenties. Yes, absolutely. And I love that you brought up uh, childhood imprinting and um, sex positive parenting because the way that we are parented leaves an imprint about how we should view our sexuality. And so much of it, like the example you explained, is not based in you wanting to project any kind of shame on your daughter or anything like that, but it's actually based in the parent's confusion or just lack of clarity about what to do. And, but then the child ends up receiving an, you know, an imprint that is not what the parents intended, um, but is rather just the, the other end of the parents own confusion. So I love that you went and talked to a therapist about it and, and sought support and started with something that's just really simple, you know, of, of like, yes, this is okay. And here's how to do it. Um, so I think that's really, really important. And I'm so glad you bring that up because there are, I deal with the, the effect of people who are now in their, you know, thirties and forties who are like, why is it that I have all of these beliefs that are based in fear and shame and inadequacy around my sexuality? Like, where did I actually get those? You know, and as I'm doing that work with people, what we are seeing is that it comes from uh, three main avenues. And one of them is the family of origin. What was the imprint you got from your family and your childhood about sexuality? And then another one is media. What is the imprint you received from media programming? And then another one is what did you receive from your sex education. So sometimes sex education is either very medical and mechanical, like, okay, now we put the condom on the banana and then you insert the penis in the vagina. And we're all like, well, that's not very exciting. (laughs) Like there's no context, right? It's not erotic. Like we're not taught this erotic education or it's based in a, a puritanical type of religious programming that is actually still embedded in many schools of like, well, you should be abstinent. You should not have sex because sex is shameful. And often that, that programming gets in definitely in religious households, which is what I grew up in. So that definitely got in there for me personally, but also for, for people who are just in the public school system. So it can be really supportive um, just to take a look at like, what is my sexual imprinting and divide it into the three categories of family of origin and childhood from media and from sex education and just take a look at And I'd argue that by raising our children in this way and being open, and obviously there's a fine line between, well, I wouldn't say it's even that fine. There is 
I grew up in a household that was over-sexualized. My mom walked around naked. I remember putting on her lingerie at six years old. She was in Playboy. We were doing stripper pole classes by age 15. There, you know what I mean? There is, um, there is a big difference between sex positive parenting and like over-sexualizing your children. And I would argue that by having these dialogues, so my daughter eventually hit a phase last year in kindergarten. And I think it's probably like being at a school with boys and all of the things. <laughs> um, she began talk, asking me about body parts. And so mm-hmm. I got this amazing book and I'll make sure to put it in the show notes. Um, I got a couple of amazing books. The first was about body parts. And she knows that boys have a penis. They have testicles. They have, they don't get breasts. You know that there's different body parts and that women have a vagina, a vulva, a clitoris. They get breasts and things like that. So we went through the whole, you know, I think the book is called It's Not the Stork or something like that. I don't know. It's a great book. And then Amazing. we did another one about red flag feelings. And so it was about protect, you know, like if somebody gives you an icky feeling, you don't keep secrets, you tell mom, like what is a red flag feeling and what is not. So we've had these this conversation and I would argue that, and I know this to be true, that this is empowering our children they're not going to feel pressured to have sex just because they want to necessarily just do it or feel that societal pressure because my daughters are going to know this is what feels good for me. This is what doesn't. This is what your part body part does. This is what mine does. This is what I'm looking for in a relationship. And this is how I respect my body. And if you're not going to, then I'm not going to be in this relationship. I mean, I think that's my, that's my goal. And what's great about what you're, what you're saying is you're teaching, you're teaching your daughter the how of how to make her own informed decisions. And I think that this is a lot of what's missing in sex education is it's like, even if you look at a lot of stuff that's out there now, you look at Cosmo or something, it's like, here are five positions that real, that will rock you know, rock his world and, and have you have the the best sex of your life. And, and it's all focused on a what based conversation. And I believe that sex is actually a how based conversation. It's the way that we are approaching it, what we are bringing to it, how we are feeling in the process and knowing how to communicate through all of those stages at such a young age, she is learning how to think for herself in this area that most people end up receiving programming that is um, very either codependent and where it's like we are there to please someone else at the expense of ourselves, or they're just they just receive very confused programming. Or they don't learn that their needs matter or, or the how of really having these conversations. Like, it's like, it, it, I'm just, I'm inspired by that because that is like what you're talking about is really the antidote to what I'm seeing in people who are 30 and 40 and what I went through of needing to learn 
how and the context of sexuality, not just the what. Like it's not about the position. It's act or the toy or the you know the cream. It's actually about the context which with with which we are approaching it. Yeah, absolutely. So say you're in a relationship, whether it be a marriage or a partnership or just whatever, and you're not happy with your sex life. I know that you said that you encourage people to kind of do like a 101, but how do you start that dialogue in a way that is hopefully going to be seen as something that's beneficial and helpful and not, you know, and not shaming to the other person, right? Absolutely. Such a good question. And I love it. So the, the first thing is setup. So I think often we want, you know, we, we want to have this kind of conversation. And so we'll just bring it at a time where we don't really have the full attention and presence that it's going to take to meet this conversation. And so what that means is, is I, you know, I have a client who was like, I've tried to have this conversation a thousand times. And, and I always say, okay, tell me how you did it. Like, how did you try? What did you say? What did, what did he say? And, um, she was like, well, you know, he just like walked in from work and I was like, you know, oh I want to talk God. to you about something. <laughs> I want to talk to you about <laughs> something. And, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And goes and takes a shower and comes out and sits down in front of the TV. And she's like, you know, and so I sat down and, you know, kind of cuddled up and then started talking about it. And, and he was like watching the game. Right. And so I'm like, okay, here's, here's the first thing. And that's kind of an extreme example, but this is actually what, what happens a lot is people, we, we don't have the awareness of setting up the space to have the conversation we want to have and then getting buy-in. So once you have the proper setup and buy-in for the conversation, then there are three frame frameworks to approach this kind of subject that have it be occur as more of an opportunity and as something that will ultimately serve your relationship as a whole. And those three things are vulnerability, responsibility, and curiosity. So to approach someone with responsibility means actually taking responsibility for your desire as like, Hey, you are actually not doing anything wrong. This I am, I am now taking responsibility for what I want. And this is what I've discovered. And it's not to say that what we have isn't great. And I'm looking at how we can even up-level that even more, you know, or it's taking responsibility for like, you know, I know we're in a little bit of a dry spell and, and I want to see what I can do to bring back the, the joy and the fun that we once had, or, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways to take responsibility depending on what the situation is but it's coming in, taking responsibility for your experience. So your partner is not responsible for your experience. That's your responsibility. And when you can approach them with that kind of responsibility, 
taking ownership of your experience and, and owning responsibility is contagious. So when one person does that, it automatically creates an opening for the other person to be like, yeah, you know, I see how I could be more vocal as well. Or I see how, you know, I have a part in this too. And it creates a culture of responsibility. So that's one element. The next is vulnerability. So vulnerability is just as important as responsibility. And that is bringing the part that's tender about this. So oftentimes, if we don't, if we are not present to that, that part where there's like, like an ache or a sadness or a loneliness or a fear or whatever our internal experience is that is like hard and vulnerable. If we aren't connected to that, when we talk to our partner, oftentimes, the conversation itself can occur like a command or a demand. And vulnerability is the most disarming thing on the planet in relationship. So when we can just bring our heart and, and this is, this is challenging because it's so much easier to be like, I just want you to be different. Why aren't you, you know, doing things the way I want to do and like bringing that criticism, but instead to really find the vulnerable part of our heart that, that is like, that really cares because there is one inside that cares so much or you wouldn't even be considering this. Let's talk about sex. I know that that's pretty taboo, but I've got to share my newest secret with you, and it is Coco New. Did you see the way I just made that rhyme? Coco New is an amazing lube that I really love. Not all lubes are created equal. Most are chemical-laden and contain harmful ingredients that can irritate your skin and mess with your pH levels. I love that Coco New is USDA certified organic and uses only 100% natural ingredients like coconut oil and organic coconut water. It's completely free of parabens, silicone, glycerin, and other harsh chemicals. They have both oil-based and water-based. Right now, if you head over to their website and Enter code Alexis at checkout. You will receive 15% off of your product. Their website is www.notimetodoit.com. And again, when you enter code Alexis at checkout, you will receive 15% off. So find that part. Find the part that cares and, and, and share from that place. Like, you know, um, the reason why I'm sharing this is because I care about our relationship so much. And I'm, I'm a little nervous even bringing this because I have a fear that it's going to be disregarded or rejected or that I'm going to be misunderstood or that you're going to end up feeling bad and I'm going to perpetuate the cycle we're in even more. It's, it's actually sharing what is true before sharing the thing. So you're taking responsibility, you're bringing your vulnerability. And then the third thing that's just as important as the first two is curiosity. So you, you share, you know, like I, you know, I'm wanting to explore this new thing or whatever your, your thing that you want to share is, you know, I'm wanting to, um, see if we can, you know, start setting up sex dates or making more space for our, our intimate time or, you know, I, I have, 
XYZ desire, or I want to have this kind of sex more or whatever it is that you are looking at. And then this is such an important part is, and I'm also curious of what I can do to support you. Or I'm curious of what you might want more of. I'm curious of what your desires are. And I also want to meet your desires. And it's, it's bringing it in, in a way that you're, there's room for your partner. Again, there's an opening for your partner to share what it is that they want as well. And that I think is how to start this kind of conversation. So often I hear, um, about from friends and I don't think men realize how much women actually talk about sex and their sex lives <laughs> <laughs> and like mm-hmm. what is going on. Um, but I had a friend, I have, I've had a couple of friends actually that are like, he just wants to have sex every night after work. So he comes home. I'm exhausted. I put the kids to bed. I'm so tired. The last thing on my mind is sex. And it's just like, I'm just laying there for his pleasure. And there, I feel like, so you have this conversation say, and he says, you know, this is what I want more of, or what if it's just something that you're not comfortable with that you don't feel good about? Um, you know, like how would you handle a situation like that? Right. So there is a yes in there somewhere. There is something that, um, this friend of yours wants that she is not getting. And so I, I think it's, it's so easy in relationship to be like, you know, I don't like the way you come home and just want to have sex with me and I'm not enjoying it and it's not working. And, and that's the end of the conversation. And there's no opening for what to do now. Mm. Men are always looking for, well, what can I do? What's the action? Like how, tell me what to do. What, what, you know, like they want to know what that is. So my invitation to this friend of yours is to find her. Yes. Of like, what is it that she would want instead? You know, does, is it that she doesn't want sex at all? Is it that she wants like, you know, more sensuality and for him to, you know, look her in the eyes and, and share on a deeper level. You know, there's, there's something that a lot of women want. I, I started giving people the term drop in. So a drop in is when it's like, you can just ask your partner, like, Hey, I want to have a drop in. And a drop in is when you talk about something other than the mundane aspects of life, something other than the kids, the to-do list, work, and all of the things that are seem urgent that normally get talked about, but are not important. So a drop-in is about addressing what's important, you know, talking about what's on your heart together. And oftentimes women want more of that, or they want more of, of like what I, you know, what I hear so many women say is, you know, I want him to like spend time touching me in a non-sexual way. Like I want, I want, I want him to, you know, massage me or, or just cuddle or just be in space together in a way that is um, intimate and sensual and connected, but not sexual yet. 
And um, so there's another exercise that I give couples in this situation sometimes that um, I call skin time. So skin time is where you set up a time that's like, okay, let's have a, you know, a 20 minute skin time date or an hour long skin time date. Mm. And that means that we do nothing sexual, but we touch each other, you know, where we, and and some couples even want to do that nude, like actually be naked together and, and like holding each other and cuddling and playing around and touching each other, but without penetration. Yeah. Um, and that's just the agreement is like, this is just what we do during skin time. And then if we want to have sex, we can talk about that afterwards. But I think it's, you know, the, those are two examples of some things that women might be the yes. You know, the, the key here is like finding the, the yes, or maybe it's like, I really want you to take me out. Like I want to feel special and like taken on a date and, and, um, you know, go, go to a nice dinner or a show or go out of town for a weekend and like spend some time with each other like we used to. You know, a lot of people are saying like, he used to do this thing and then we had kids and jobs and businesses together and now he doesn't. And so it's like bringing that up as like, you know, I'd love to look and see how we can make some space for that. So it's finding the yes and and clarifying that for yourself, maybe journaling about it or sharing with a friend about it so that you can have um, your own clarity about that and then letting him know what that is. Now, it's also going to accompany with the yes. Of course, there might be like a, a boundary here. There might be a vulnerability that, that wants to be revealed of like, how does it feel to you when he comes home and wants to have sex with you without you really feeling like it's for your pleasure and you feel like you're just kind of laying there for his pleasure? Like, how does that feel? And then sharing that you know, sharing that and saying, this is, you know, I'm feeling this way. And what I would love more of is, is this other thing? How does that, you know, how does that land for you? And sometimes these conversations can be deep and heavy and triggering. Sometimes they can be, you know, like it's, it's just a matter of, you know, getting the courage to speak about it, which is a big deal. And sometimes it can be challenging for couples if there's a lot of parts that are unmet on one or both sides. And that's where having professional help, you know, seeing a therapist or seeing a coach or someone who can support you in that um, can be really supportive if it's like, ooh, that's not going to happen in my relationship because there's so much hostility already present. Then sometimes it's helpful to have a third party. Absolutely. I think parenting just throws a wrench in everything and people don't really fully understand like when making a baby is great and then being pregnant and having sex has its whole, a whole slew of concerns for men. Um, I know for my husband and many others, it's like, am I going to hurt the baby? Like you're really pregnant. Should we really be Mm -hmm. doing this? Um, am I attracted to you when you're pregnant and 40 Mm -hmm. pounds heavier and exhausted and having a slew of pregnancy issues and vomiting all the time? Like, (laughs) You know, there's right. there's so many shifts there and then baby comes and there's no sex for six weeks and, um, as, you know, your body is changing as a woman. And I feel like a lot of people don't realize this too, especially if you're breastfeeding, 
your vagina is like really dry and you actually don't produce like your normal like amount of what is it called why am I blanking um fluids um yeah (laughs) vaginal fluids um Mm -hmm. and your sex life will have highs and lows and things will adjust and you're sleepless and you're exhausted and then fast forward and your kids are a little bit older and I can understand how people fall into these threats where it's like we're just gonna have sex because we feel like we need to have sex or he just wants to have sex so I do have sex even though Mm -hmm. I'm not in the mood for having sex and Those tips are really helpful. And one thing that Evan and I make sure that we do is we do getaways. And it's something that we committed to when my second daughter was born after she was done nursing and I could actually get away for a night or two. Now we do three a year. Um, And we don't always go to Cabo. Sometimes we go to Cabo. Um, And sometimes we don't. Sometimes we literally get a hotel room 15 minutes down the road from my house and spend the night there and get away. So that way we can have some time to to connect. Or sometimes we just lay in bed and like scroll Instagram and order in food and don't talk to each other the whole time too. And that works too. You know, it's like sometimes we just both need like a mental break. It's like, uh, I yeah. want to have a getaway, but I don't want to talk and I don't want to get like deep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we still mm-hmm. end up having sex and it's fun sex and it's exciting, but it's not like probably as passionate as it, you know, as those trips where we're like, okay, well, no, we're going to spend more time connecting together. Um, And so, and I know that a lot of people don't have the luxury of, just getting away or getting a hotel room, which I totally understand too, which is why I love the idea of having these conversations of like, I need time to touch in bed maybe and connect for a little while, like once a week, I need an hour of that or a half an hour twice a week. And, you know, can we go out to dinner um, twice a month? I, I That was something that we had to negotiate too with a ther. We ended up seeing a therapist. Well, we've seen a couple a therapist a couple times in our marriage, but to talk about our needs, like you know, I need to feel like I'm your girlfriend, and I'm sure you need to feel like I'm your boyfriend sometimes. And so let's make this a priority again. Um, and yeah. the other thing that I really hate is like comparing. Um, I said, like, my girlfriends and I, we talk a lot about our sex lives. And I, you can easily feel like, oh, my God, I'm clearly not having sex enough. But I would argue that the three or four times a month that Evan and I do have sex, and it's incredible sex, is Mm. far better than having sex three or four times a week and not having good sex. And so I, it is one of those things where it is... It's quality over quantity for sure. Absolutely. And and so a couple things I want to just double click on in what you said is um, I, I just love listening to people talk and then underlining and explaining why what they're doing is working because I think that's super, super helpful. So like in this situation, what what you're you're talking about is you are scheduling sex. Or, or scheduling dates. And um, I call them sex dates. I call it sexy scheduling. Because for most of us, many people, 
live out of their calendars. And they're, so it's like, if it's not in the calendar, it's not a priority and it might not happen. And so as strange as it sounds for some people to be like scheduling a sex date and (laughs) what I would never want to do, you know, that makes no sense. It's supposed to be spontaneous. And it's like, well, you know, welcome to 2019, you know, with everything we all have going on, sometimes spontaneous sex isn't going to be as common when you have kids and businesses and PTA meetings and soccer. So there's, there's like actually just using these wonderful tools that we have of calendars and using it to your advantage. Um, and, and it can even be what you said of like, sometimes a sex date might involve, you know, going out of town and staying at a hotel. Um, or I mean, going in town 15 minutes away and staying in a hotel or going on a getaway. And there doesn't need to be um, a pressure for a sex date to be anything other than what you desire. So both people can say, hey, you know what? I want something where I can actually kind of unplug my mind, um, you know, or I want I want to connect more deeply and, and actually state what the desires are and then give that to yourselves. So I love that you are doing that. And I think that's a really helpful tool for, for people to use. And the second thing is when you are looking at your sex life under a microscope that is comparing yourself to everything else you see out there, not only in your friend group, but you can bet that's happening with like the kind of sex people are having in the movies and the kind of relationships that you see in the movies or what's depicted in media. There is something that I just really want everyone to get. And that is that media, that what media, the signal media is sending out is that you are never enough. The sex you're having is never good enough. And you are inadequate if you're not just this like sexual rock star all the time. And both men and women are receiving that programming. And sometimes that way of being can also seep into friend groups where without even realizing it, we are so conditioned to compare ourselves and to compete that we might be like, oh, wow, they're having more sex than me or they're having better sex than me or there's always better sex than I'm having out there and I must find out what it is. And it, what's funny is as a sex coach, I'm actually telling you that this way of thinking and this mindset is counterproductive to the kind of sex that you want to be having because it creates frustration and scarcity and competition. And that is not where enjoyable intimacy actually comes from. So to build an enjoyable intimate life is, is to understand that what people are saying they're doing oftentimes is better than what's actually happening. And that a lot of people don't feel comfortable, even in friend groups, talking about like the real, like the, the dark parts of their relationship or their sex life or the parts that are really not working. And if they do, then great. I mean, that's really supportive when we can be really honest about the full spectrum of our sex life and not just paint it to be, you know, roses and butterflies when there's like parts that are not working. Um, 
And then just to also understand that each connection is different and that what we want, like what actually satisfies us might be different than what satisfies anyone else. And that sex is one of those topics that there are so many different ways of looking at it and desires and um, sex drives and so much and phases. There's also so many different phases yeah, of that's what I was sexual say. life. There's periods. Right. There's periods. Yeah. Where, you know, I remember my husband went through like a weird period and he ended up just being so stressed out from work. But it was like, I was like, don't you need to have sex? Like, shouldn't we be like having sex more? And he was like, first of all, he's 15 years older than me. He's like, you know how much sex I've had in my life? I'm like, okay, we don't need to talk about it. I'm sure it's been a lot. Um, but he goes, no, I'm just really stressed out right now. And you know, there's no, I don't need to be having sex, you know, you know, uh, as much as we've been having it. So, and there's fluctuations. There are times where we are having sex multiple times a week and it's amazing and it's incredible. And there's just times where we're having foreplay too, which is great. And then Mm -hmm. that's it. And then there's times where it's less. And so, yeah, it, it changes with what's going on in your life and that's okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, um, I, I'm just glad that we're, we're moving into an age right now where we're, we're talking about, we're having these big moments like me too. And Mm -hmm. we're fighting for equality and for LGBTQ now IA rights. (laughs) And I hope I said that right. I really do. Um, it changes a lot. (laughs) It changes a lot. I think it's LGBTQIA. I just learned about that. Um, and so we're, and, and where people are talking about gender fluidity and, and not identifying necessarily with their gender that they were born with, or maybe identifying with both. And, and we're having these conversations and we're also talking about sex and we're talking about what is working for us and what is not anymore. We're talking about what consent is and what consent isn't. We're talking about what feels good and what doesn't. And, I think that we're going to become better humans for it. And by having these tough conversations, I do believe that it's going to reduce violence against women and men. And we're going to be able to grow and expand by having these conversations. So I am so grateful to have you on the podcast. And I want to let my listeners know where they can find you and any cool upcoming like events that you might have um, and how they can get in contact. Yes, absolutely. And I I just want to say that I'm really excited that this conversation is coming out into the light so much more now. I think that is how we how we heal it is is through talking about it, through sharing, through bringing saying the things that we wouldn't have said before and finding that courage. And um, so I just want to give all of the permission for anyone who is sitting there. That's like, God, I know I, there's a conversation I need to have. And um, I just wish you all of the courage that it takes to do that, because I think that is how we within our own relationships begin healing this 
the, the collective in, in this situation. It's time that, that sex is out of the dark and actually like really fully celebrated as, as a, um, a natural human activity. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. So, so um, where can people yeah. find you? So um, I have a website and I'm very active on social media. So my website is jamieelizabeththompson.com, J-A-M-I-E-E-L-I-Z-A-B-E-T-H-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N.com. It's kind of long. And then I also have my Instagram, which is handle holistic sex coach and my Facebook, which is facebook.com slash Miss Jamie Elizabeth. And on my website, you will see a lot of different information. Um, one, if there's anyone who feels like they are ready to up level or make a change in their sex and intimacy or communication in their relationship or in their dating life, I have a form on the homepage of my website that says work with Jamie and um, fill that out. And I will be in touch. If it feels like we are in alignment, we'll set up a call to talk about that. And it's a complimentary 15 minute call just to see if we connect and want to move forward. And I also have a course, which is actually full now. This, this one that's coming up actually just filled um, but they'll be running another one in the winter and it is called awakening your erotic muse. You can also see more information about that on my website and awakening your erotic muse is a course for women who are wanting to get in deeper touch with their sensuality and their feminine radiance and their orgasm potential and learn how to live more in their body and be able to talk about what they want with their partner because they actually know what they want. So it's really a course to, to widen the, our own experience of our turn on. And it's a small group container. Um, so if, if you have interest in that, you can see that on the website and then also send me a message about that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and we will absolutely keep in touch. Thank you. If you guys liked this episode, do me a solid head over to the podcast app and make sure that you are subscribed to Recovering From Reality. Not just subscribed, but give me five stars if you really liked it. Comment make a review. I really appreciate it. And if you're listening on your phone, you could even screenshot a picture of you listening and tag me up on Instagram and I'll do my best to share it within the community. So thanks for listening, you guys. And I hope you loved this episode. This week's affirmation is feeling confident, assured, and strong is a normal part of my everyday life. And so it is.